Now, if you would, please open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Forgive me if you're new here. I, think, I, I don't think I introduced myself either. I am pastor here. My name is Stefan Bomberger, and I see a number of first-time guests, so thank you for worshiping with us. And we're opening up to Acts chapter 14, and we're going to close out Paul's first missionary journey as we work our way through the book of Acts. We've been going for over a year verse by verse through the book of Acts in a series called Life on Mission. And of course, we're going to push pause after today and enter into Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday and preach and teach uh, specifically on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Also, I mentioned the Good Friday service, but if you don't have plans Friday night, the Good Friday before Easter, 7 p.m. right here, we are worshiping here. There's going to be a special service with communion provided as well. So join us for that. But today we're wrapping up Paul's first missionary journey. If you're new to the book of Acts, it launches in Jerusalem with the 12 apostles. Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. And then that from Jerusalem, he says, will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And at the latter part of the book, there are three missionary journeys where Paul goes out to the very ends of the earth, ultimately to the Roman Empire, which is where he ends at Acts 28, the end of the book. So this is the closure of the first missionary journey, and as Jodine just read so effectively, what we've been given by Jesus, it's called the Great Commission out of Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus says that we will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But there he says to go and make disciples of all nations. We call this the Great Commission because this is what Jesus has given us. This is the mission to the church. Before he went back to heaven, he passes the baton to us. He gives us the gospel, the good news that he died and rose for the sins of the world. He says, now spread this good news of forgiveness of eternal life to everybody everywhere. And it spills out to the whole ends of the earth. And I'm calling today's sermon uh, Mission Accomplished, not because the entire Great Commission is accomplished, but this first mission, this first assignment by the Holy Spirit, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out, they now go back. We'll see them land back at their sending church, and they have a big celebration, rejoicing over what God has done. Mission accomplished. They were sent out to do a work, and now they come back to that very same location so basically, chapters 13 and 14, which I've been preaching the last few weeks, two chapters represent two years of their lives. And after year two, they circle back, as we'll see today, to the churches and the regions that they've already evangelized and land back in Antioch, their sending church. So just to get us started, I'm going to read verses 19 to 22 together, pray for us, and then we will preach to the end and read to the very end of the chapter through this sermon. So let's pray, or excuse me, let's read verses 19 to 22. But Jews came from Antioch. Now that's not the Antioch where they started their missionary journey in Syria. That's Pisidian Antioch where they preached and ticked a lot of people off. So Jews came from Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, that's another area where they ticked a lot of people off. <laughs> and having persecuted the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. I preached this last week, pulling it into today, supposing that he was dead. So this is where they're in Lystra. They thought that they were gods, but all of a sudden these people come, say, no, 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 these guys are a bunch of troublemakers, and they throw stones at Paul and try to kill him. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, gathered about Paul, 
he rose up and entered the city, Lystra again, and on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Mission accomplished. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your perfect and holy word. And we thank you that recorded here in the pages of sacred scripture, we see how the Spirit of God, how you, Spirit of God, moved through your mighty apostles of old. Lord, through how you built your church in the early days. Lord, how your mission went forward there from Jerusalem and from Antioch to the ends of the earth. Lord, and I pray as we look at your word this morning, that Spirit of God, you would fill us, you would inspire us to the mission that you have for our lives today here in Havertown, greater Philadelphia, and also to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to be faithful to the mission that you've given to the human race, to all those that you've made into your disciples called by your name. Help us to truly be salt, to be light, to make disciples, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1960s, there was a popular TV show called Mission Impossible, which has been rebranded by the movies more lately. I think there's six of them out. But even way back in the 60s, the main character, each episode would start with a, a tape of sorts being delivered to uh, the main character. And it would always say this. It would say, your mission, should you choose to accept it, dot, dot, dot. And it would lay out a mission for that episode, and there was very specific instructions, and I know the movies kind of pull off of this, your mission, should you choose to accept it. Missions are precise. Missions drive us forward. They accomplish our to-do list, if you will. Missions describe what we exist to do. It's been very popular in organizations now, if you follow business practices in the 90s into the present where they started saying, clarify your mission, right? Clarify what you're supposed to be doing because your mission tells you where you're going, how you'll get there, all of the above. Well, that didn't start in the 90s with business gurus. Missions have existed since ancient times and that's why we call what we read earlier the great commission. It's the mission that Jesus says commissioned us with where he describes what it means that our mission has been accomplished. There's an old adage saying if you, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time, right? And sometimes in the church, let's be honest, we can walk in, we feel like we're just shotgun, like just shooting, hoping we hit something, throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. Well, Jesus hasn't left it open to interpretation of what it looks like to check off the box and say, mission accomplished. As a young kid, I'm pretty bad at sports today, but I was lousy as a child. My kids got that from me, sorry. <laughs> and I remember playing basketball, and I could never get the ball, and I could never get it to the hoop. But for one, one, one week, I was there, and I got the ball. Suddenly, I was like, I can't believe I have the ball. Can't believe I have the ball. So I start dribbling down the court, and I'm like, I'm the king. Like, there is nobody around me. I, I got this. It's wide open. I take a shot and get it. And I'm like, yes. And then all of a sudden, my team is like, oh, you idiot. 
I didn't realize I had shot at the wrong hoop. <laughs> oh! <laughs> what are the rules of the game? What are we called to do? And what is the target that we're called to hit? How do we know when we've accomplished the mission for our lives personally? And I do believe there's a unique mission God can give to each one of you. So as I preach this, I'm going to apply it broadly first to the mission of the church, but also knowing when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Because there's a mission to reach the world for Christ, but there was a mission from Antioch to go to this region as well. We want to hear from God, hear his mission, and the great commission and the mission he's assigned to us. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, has already been spelled out. And there's three ways we see the mission accomplished by Barnabas and Paul here, the end of Acts chapter 14 on their first missionary journey. So I'm going to hit these one by one, going through the section of Scripture together. So how is our mission accomplished as the church, as believers? First, our mission is accomplished by making strong disciples. By making strong disciples. Now, if you've been following this for a while, again, I said this was two years of them preaching, and they started at this area called Antioch. They hopped on a boat. They stopped in an island called Cyprus. Then they went to Antioch of Pisidia, preached at a synagogue there, got kicked out. People attacked them, said, get out of here. There's persecution. Chapter 14, they go to Iconium, where they try to stone them. So they move on from there, but make a lot of disciples at both locations, then head to Lystra, which... Uh, we saw last week is where Paul ultimately does get stoned, where they heal a man, but they make disciples there as well. So as we pick up the narrative today, the reason I say making strong disciples, notice that we're told they go to Derby, and the first thing we see there in verse 20 is when he entered the city on the next day, he went from there to Derby with Barnabas, his companion, and they preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples and that's all that we learned about Derby, by the way. It's just sort of like snapshot. They went to Derby, preached the gospel, made a bunch of disciples. We don't know how long they were. We don't know where they preached. That's all we know. But one thing is really clear that the way that we make disciples is by preaching the gospel. Do you see the connection? Say yes. Right there. We preach the gospel. We preach Jesus. We preach his word. We preach the living Savior. Disciples are made. Not simply decisions, by the way, disciples. And disciples is the New Testament's favorite word choice for being a follower of Jesus Christ. This idea that Jesus said, go and make disciples. Remember Matthew 28, he didn't say, go get a lot of professions of faith. How many hands went up? Now, you know, I preached in the middle schools and high schools of South Florida. We saw a ton of decisions. We saw thousands of kids come to Christ every year across seven counties, hundreds of schools. As Christians, we love to see the numbers. But listen, if somebody raises their hand at church or at a pizza party, mission is not done. If it's successful, we're just getting started. Decisions to disciples. Jesus told us to follow him. And that's what a disciple, that's what a follower is. That we know that we've accomplished the mission, not simply by preaching the gospel, but by people coming to Jesus believing in him and picking up their own cross to follow him as his disciples. And that's not just from that one verse in verse 20. Look what they do in verse 21 again. When they preached the gospel city, made many disciples, listen to this, they returned to Lystra 
and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now again, follow what's happening here. What did they just do? They literally just retraced their steps backwards. You see that? People came from those cities who stirred up the crowd to stone them. Paul is alive either miraculously or through playing dead. We're not sure, but he's okay. And they keep preaching. And then on their way back to their home church, and if you want to study geography, it would have been really easy. They kind of did a circle, hopping up the ship and going here. They could have just gone back to Antioch, their home church. They didn't. They went back around the circle, stopping at all the places that tried to stone them, that tried to persecute them, that tried to kick them out. Why would they go back to those cities? They already got a lot of people saying, I believe in Jesus. Tons of people are already saying, sign me up for eternal life. Check off. They could have gone right back to Antioch, their sending church, and said, guys, we had so many decisions. We'll tell you all about it. They already would have looked like heroes to the church, but it's not good enough for them just to circle back to their church and say, hey, we preach the gospel. They go back to the very sources of persecution where they left those believers who are probably being persecuted. What does it say? To strengthen and encourage the disciples. Do you see it? To make strong disciples. They weren't simply interested in head counts. They were interested in people and seeing them growing in their faith. Develop deeply into Christ and Christ's likeness. And if we want to see as a church and as a people of God, the kingdom of God, which Paul talks about here, the rule and the reign of God advance in the earth, we need to move from shallow, just quick decisional approach to deep disciple-making ministries. Now, it's not an either-or. We want to call people to Jesus. I hope you make a decision for Jesus even today if you're not his follower, but to invite you into a process here at Manoa where you would grow to become more like Jesus together. They backpedal to all, they backtrack, I should say, to all these different cities and strengthen and encourage the existing disciples. It's interesting, we don't know a lot of what they say to encourage them. We only get a little snapshot, right? But what does Paul say as he strengthens them? I'm going back to the gym right now. It doesn't show yet. Hopefully in a few months I might be strong. It takes a while, right? But there's a few things. They're strengthening them. They're trying to build up their stamina. They're trying to build up their faith muscle, if you will. It says they're encouraging them to continue in the faith. There's a concrete faith that you've given yourself to. We want to encourage you in this. This is the one exercise we want you to hear in your head through many tribulations. You see that? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. They go back and strengthen them with this. You ready? It's going to be really hard. You're going to get to heaven, and God's rule and reign will spread, but you're going to face a lot of opposition. Tribulation is coming your way. Big church growth strategy. Open the doors. Free food for everyone. Close the doors. It's going to be hard. Wait a minute. That's... That's not how we grow churches, is it? 
Evidently so. There's no bait and switch going on here. They believe in Jesus. They choose the way of the cross. As we look at Jesus, Jesus was incredible. Certainly he ushered in the kingdom of God, but it was not easy for Jesus. It was hard. He laid down his life and he calls us to do the same. And this is not just Paul in hyperbole, like life is going to be hard, and, but stand up for truth anyway. You know, even though he's writing from an ivory tower somewhere with lots of protection and soldiers around him or something. No, that's not who he was. He's literally in the cities where they were picking up stones to throw at him. This preacher's got some cred, right? He's got some real street cred with these folks because he's lived it. He's willing to take some hits. And I know Ron and I, I can't speak for Ron, but I think this is his heart as well, right? We're not leaders who will lead from the back. <laughs> you know, go out there, get out there, you know, and telling you where to go. I'll be the first one post-COVID. I want to take, go into the college campuses, back into the high schools, into the prisons. I'll go anywhere. If it's easy or hard, I don't know if I'm a little crazy or if it's just the way God's wired me or gifted me. The harder, the better. I've gone to some crazy places. Uh, but we should be willing to go, not because we, we just like persecution. I'm not saying that at all. And not to be mean. But to go where things are hard. We should be going to the places. If, if we're only going to the affluent neighborhoods, doing demographic studies, where's all the build? you know. We're missing the kingdom. Ministry is hard. We're not seeking hardship, but we are faithful to Jesus and we will go back and strengthen people in hard places, committed to seeing believers enter God's kingdom. And I want to be clear that there is hardship, like Paul says, that we want to strengthen people in their faith. I hope that you're strengthened as you plug into Manoah. It's hard, but it is worth it. The kingdom of God is worth it. The rule and the reign of God in your life is a wonderful thing. And it culminates on that final day when you see King Jesus face to face. But the kingdom of God is not simply, here's a big word, eschatological meaning. One day you get to go to the kingdom. The kingdom, Jesus says, spills into this present evil age now. So that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is with us. And people should long for, and I pray that we become the kind of church when people say, what does God's rule look like? Look at God's people because we become outposts of God's kingdom. That we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and it changes us. It changes our community. As Ron prayed, the things that divide the human race, that under the banner of King Jesus, our differences are laid aside and we unite together instead of the antagonism and Hatred, we should be the people saying that wall has been teared down in Jesus Christ and we are together as one because Jesus is our new king. We are in a new tribe of all of the tribes and it's under King Jesus and we enter into that kingdom together and we enter into that kingdom forever and ever and ever because on the final day, my Bible says every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will be around the throne of King Jesus, worshiping him with every language and every ethnicity possible. That is why we have a global mission. We go to the nations, and by the way, brothers and sisters, the nations have already come to us, which is why we're reaching this region and the ends of the earth. We want to make not simply decisions.
but strong disciples. And if you're here as a baby Christian, stick around. We want to see your faith strengthened. And listen, we're not looking to make things hard. Life is hard enough, right? Like, so when I say, you know, that he talks about these things, I think Paul's a realist. He's not trying to make Christianity any harder or your faith walk any harder. It will be hard, but it will be worth it. And you'll have Christ with you, and he will be your strength as you enter his kingdom. Our mission is accomplished first by making strong disciples. Secondly, by planting indigenous churches. By planting indigenous churches, verse 23. And when they, Barnabas and Paul, had listened to this word, appointed elders for them in every church, in every church, circle the word church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So not only do they circle back, follow the logic here, They've preached the gospel, disciples are made, they strengthen those disciples, they move on, but they come back, and then they organize those disciples into churches. Do you see it? He calls those gathering of disciples churches, and they appoint, it says elders, the Greek word there is presbyters, that's if you've heard of Presbyterian, the idea that churches are led by elders, but not just any elders. It wasn't like Paul and Barnabas were like getting on the phone with Jerusalem like, hey, send us some of your best leaders here because we have some new converts. And if you guys would just come over here and take over, we got a great giving crowd that will support you. They don't do that, do they? Where do they pick the elders from? Right in those cities. From whom? From New Christians? They've all been Christians for two years or less. Now, I want to be clear, Christianity has taken root in our country for a while. We typically like to find believers who are not new converts. In fact, the Bible encourages that as our strategy. But I'm just showing you what they really did. Because it can make us a little bit uncomfortable when we realize that these churches were led by the people who are just reached within their own communities. Now, Probably some of them came out of a Jewish heritage, out of some of the synagogues, knew some of their Bibles a little bit better than the others. So I'll put all of those qualifications in place, all right? That they, they weren't completely ignorant of Bible and sound doctrine. They probably knew those things already. So it gave them some people to pick from. But here's my point, is they went in and they raised up leaders from within that people group and said, now we will organize you to lead this church without us. You see it? They weren't looking to disempower those people and say, now that you follow Jesus, follow us. Now that you follow Jesus, we will help you raise up leaders from within, appoint them as leaders, and we're out of here. Many of you know we're planting a church in North Philly right now, and planting's maybe not even the right word because it's a group of Brazilian believers already, and they came to us and said they wanted to be part of our denomination. But they had a friend, a pastor, who's been mentoring them for years. You, many of you know the story, James Sousa. And he lives in Brazil. And he's come over and visited and preached and, and, uh, and discipled them and mentored them, instructed them in sound doctrine. They said, we want him to be our pastor. And so he said, 
that's a good idea, but COVID's raging in Brazil right now. Did you know that? So it's out of control. He was at a big Brazilian church, solid. We actually have fraternal relations, like they're a sister church with ours over there. So he said, let's work with these guys, and let's, we're working to bring him over to plant a Brazilian church. And it wants to be multi-ethnic. The pastor already planted a church in Japan that was multi-ethnic. But here's the point. There's a bunch of Brazilians leading this church. The first thing I said is, as we help them, I do not want to disempower the existing leaders here. This is not going to be Manoa or some of these other churches coming in and saying, let us show you how to do this. This is us helping them lead their own churches. As we think about church ministry, and I want to speak to the missions committee particularly, but all of us, we need to study missionary strategies because sometimes we've been guilty of going into other nations and like, we don't know the culture, we don't know the people. And then I go over to this culture and say, I will be your pastor for the next few decades, having funding coming from the United States of America for decades upon decades, meanwhile, just shepherding this small house church. You know, most of the missions we see in modern day America that took off is when they kicked the missionaries out. Shoot, the missionaries got it started, and all of a sudden something happened that booted all of us out, and all of a sudden the indigenous people took it over and said, well, I guess we better run the church. That's where church growth took off. Why? They know the people. They know the tribes. They know the language. They love Jesus. They'll still need our help, by the way. Paul's going to write a pretty scathing letter. It's called the uh, Galatians. You guys ever read that before? This whole region is Galatia. They still need Paul's help. Paul's going to help them and tilt them the right direction, say, okay, this, not that. Keep, he's going to still keep them in the faith. But they are the leaders now, boots on the ground. And as we look to plant and revitalize churches all over greater Philadelphia and to the ends of the world, we want to plant churches that raise up indigenous, empower indigenous leaders. And this can happen in the United States, too, by the way. I used to be part of a denomination. The first thing you had to do when you joined our denomination is all the elders stepped down, and they put a staff pastor in charge of everything until they could raise up more staff pastors. That's not right. <laughs> we should raise up more of them. So I, I've thought more about that. I said, that's not, that's not a helpful strategy. We need to raise up indigenous leaders into all the different people groups both in America and abroad. You know, and it takes a measure of faith, not in the goodness of people, but in the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. And you see that at the end of verse 23. It says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. That we commit and we trust people with God. We are not God. You know that, you know that right? You're not God, right? We're not God. God is God, and he's just as much God over them as over you, and he's just as much, his Bible's just as clear to them as it is to you, and so we commit people to God. We entrust people to God. We entrust them to the Lord, and then we take our hands off, and we allow people to grow up, and this is one of our core values as a church, both within our family, meaning we're a people of empowerment. We, we empower you within the church. I want to see you go as far as you can for Jesus Christ. And we do that to other churches. We do that to other people groups. We're not interested in being colonial or paternalistic or imperial in our missionary strategy. We want to see every nation, tribe, and tongue raised up 
to own the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and to spread it to their own friends and their own family to make disciples. Our mission is accomplished first by making strong disciples. Secondly, once those disciples are made, we want to see them organized into strong indigenous churches. Thirdly and finally, our mission is accomplished by fulfilling God's work. Fulfilling God's work. Verses 24 to the end. And they, after they entrusted this group to the Lord, appointed elders, they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. From there, they sailed to Antioch. So we don't know much about those regions other than they continue to faithfully speak the word. And they pick up a ship in Adaliah, that's a port region. And from there, they sailed to Antioch. Again, that's the Antioch that sent them, that Syrian Antioch. That's their home church. That's their sending church. When they had been commended, excuse me, where they had been commended to the grace of God. Do you see that? To the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's to non-Jewish people. Outside of the synagogue, people are coming to faith in Jesus, verse 28. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So what we see after they return and strengthen the disciples, they raise up elders, organize them into local churches as they preach a few more places, hit a port, and go back to their home church. And it says that that's the church where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Now, if you go back to the beginning where they had been commended, this is out of chapter 14, no, excuse me, chapter 13, where they're sent off. They're worshiping and fasting, chapter 13, verse 2. While they're worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, see that word work again, to which I have called them. So they fast, they pray, they send them off to the work that God, the Holy Spirit of God, had called them. They go back to the place where they'd been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And then when they gather together, I just want to keep emphasizing, look at this, they gather the whole church together. It's not just the elders, it's not just the leaders. The whole congregation sent them off. The whole congregation brought them back together and listened to what they did. They declared all that God had done, circle this word, with them. All that God had done with them and how he, he meaning God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So follow this. The work that they gave themselves to, they were set apart by the Holy Spirit. The whole church knew it. They all heard the word of the Lord. They set apart for me these two for the work I've called them to. They spend two years at the work that God has called them to. They go back to the place that they fulfilled the work that God's called them to. And they describe all that God had done with them and how God had opened the door. Do you see the activity of God in the work that they fulfilled? Say yes. This was God's work. They were doing God's work, and God was working with them, and God was working through them. It's a both and. We tend to get into like this either or, like God is sovereign, so, you know, he'll save whoever he will. You know, or we start to be like, if I don't go, then how can God do anything? God can work with and through you. And if any door opens Trust me, it's not your own ingenuity that pushed that door open, all right? 
The Lord is the one that calls you to the work. The Lord is the one that works with you and through you. And the Lord is the one that opens the door into all the miraculous things he has ahead for you. But this work that God has called us to, and this work that God calls you to, this is his work, and we are joining him in his activity. Let's not pray about what we want to do and then ask God to bless our thing. Let's look at God's thing and pray about how we can get in on that. See the difference? Let's get in on God's work. Let's get in on what God is doing in the world. Let's figure out what God has called us to do. And let's jump in on that because God will then open the doors and God will work with us and through us. What did Jesus say at the end of the Great Commission? If you give yourself to this, behold, I am with you. Not just to the twelve. Because he says this at the end, I'm with you, plural, to the very end of the age. The age hasn't ended yet, brothers and sisters. Now it will when Jesus comes back. That'll be age over, game over, kingdom perfected, all right? But we are still in that age, and Jesus' promise still stands for you and for me, that if we go, if we go to the work that he's called us to, if we join him in that, he will open doors, he will be with us, he will work through us, he will be with us to the very ends of the earth. I want to be a part of that. Do you? And when we're part of that, we're not going to be like me as a kid, jumping down to the hoop all alone, just playing our own game, like, you know, and then trying, come on, join me in this thing. This is Wait a minute. When we find what God is doing in the world, the doors will open. Why? Nobody can shut a door that God can't open. Nobody. He can open any door. And if we find ourselves giving ourselves to things where that door just will never open, for our missions committee, let's pray about this as well. And if you say, who are these mission committees? Talk to me. You can get in on this. So it's not like this secretive group. We want more people to be involved in this. But for all of us, or to do ministry, if you're saying, Stefan, I feel like God has called us to this part of Philly. God's called us to this part of Chester. God's called... Talk to us. Let's sense what the Holy Spirit is saying. And when we know that the Lord is there, you know what will happen? He will open the door and he will make a way. I don't want to spend the next few decades bounding at doors that aren't opening because if those doors aren't opening, that means the Lord's not opening them. Let's move on. We'll see that in the book of Acts. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, just stop. You can't go there. Go there instead. There's something dynamic. So we know the blueprint. We know that we're called to make strong disciples. We know that we're called to plant indigenous churches. And I believe God has given us a vision and mission together to reach this region. I think that's fair to say that if we're in Havertown, we should reach people for Havertown. Do you agree? Let's do that. We're close to Philadelphia. I think that we should reach Philadelphia for Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Say yes. And there's people all over the world who've never seen a Bible, never heard. They maybe heard about Jesus as a prophet, but not as Savior. And Jesus says, every nation, tribe, and tongues is here. So we're on sure footing, brothers and sisters, to give our lives to this work. Let's join God in what he's doing. Let's rewrite our own life missions in light of his big mission with the capital M. So that at the end of our lives, 
we could run the race that's been set out for us. We can run the race before us and know that we were running on the right track. So that we could run that race as we get to the gates, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven that we've already been living inside of, so to speak. But we enter into that and we hear the well done, good and faithful servant. Not the, what game were you playing? That the mission impossible is made possible through the good news of Jesus Christ. The greatest mission, the greatest cause we could give our lives to. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to make strong disciples. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to help plant indigenous churches all over the world through your gifts, through your talents, through your giving. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to make your life and your purpose your work about fulfilling God's work. Let's pray. If you're here and you haven't received Jesus Christ, before you can accept God's mission for your life, the first thing you need to do is accept Jesus as Savior of your life. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that because Jesus laid down his life for you and died on the cross for you to forgive you of all of your sins and to forgive you of all the things you give your life to that are not of him. And if you would turn to him now, he would cleanse you of your sins. His kingdom would be birthed in your own soul and you would enter into his kingdom now and forever. The way you do that is through faith. You turn to him and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Thank you that your mission was a mission to save me. May my life and my mission be driven by your mission now. And for the church, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have been clear, Jesus. You restated it many, many ways. Matthew 28 is not the only time you articulated what we're to give our lives to, to make disciples and to see your name spread throughout the ends of the earth. And so, God, I pray for the practical outworking of that in all of our lives, Lord, not simply in full-time ministry, but in the day-to-day, when we go to work, when our kids go to school, when we interact with our neighbors, Lord, as we appoint elders at Manoa, Uh, Many of them who are us, and we are them, Lord. People of Havertown that are yet to be reached that 10 years from now might be an elder at this church. So, Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would do everything we could in our lives to figure out what your work is. To see the doors that are closed that you intend to open. And by faith, to step up to those doors that seem closed and in boldness say this door must open. This door will open because Jesus has sent me to this door. So God, may we be men and women of faith, walking not by sight, but by faith, day by day, entering into the unstoppable work that you have called us to. For your glory and for the good of our neighbors, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.